Thank you and be seated as we uh, dismiss our kids who are friends. And I want to take a moment to uh, remind you of something that's in your bulletin. Uh, I've got a neighboring workshop coming up on November the 10th. And you may be asking why. <laughs> I can give you two good reasons why. One is, we've been praying for one person in our life, right, every day? And while you do that, please understand uh, who you are. Because statistically, 85% of you are so cut off from the rest of the world that you don't even know how to talk to the one person you're praying for. Okay? That's just a, the truth. And so part of what I'm trying to do over the next few weeks um, is to help you with that. So I'll be doing from time to time a one-verse faith share. That'll be a couple of hours uh, to go through. Very easy, very simple, but something that we need to do and rehearse together, I think. So I had one of those last week and had uh, no one show uh, sign up. Faye and Billy showed up, and I was home having a atrial fibrillation attack. So uh, it worked out all right for me, but... Not for them. They came over here for nothing. Uh, but anyway, I'm doing that from time to time, so you can watch out for that. And then this neighboring thing, which just is a way to uh, take seriously the idea that Jesus said there's two great things that God has asked us to do as his children, as his people. And that's, first of all, to love him with everything that we are and to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And when that statement comes out of our mouth, what that means is, if we are believers in Christ, we want our neighbors to be believers in Christ. That's, that's about the most solid way that we, we have a love for ourselves is the love that we have for ourselves in Christ. And we want others to experience that too. So um, that'll be on November the 10th. If you want to sign up and help me prepare for that day, there's a sheet on the foyer table. Uh, in the foyer is where the foyer table is. <clears throat> I am focused, by the way, today. You just wouldn't know it. I'm going to have to use Don's glasses. I didn't get mine clean enough. Okay, so we're in, we're in Mark 13 today, and Mark 13 has often been described as the little apocalypse. It's that uh, place in Scripture that this is part of Jesus' Passion Week. What I mean is he's approaching the thing that he was most passionate about, and that was giving his life for the salvation of the world. And as you recall, over the last couple of weeks, we've addressed how the religious leaders had come against him. They kept wanting to know where he had the authority, first of all. Uh, how dare he clear the temple and call it a house of prayer for his father. And that bothered them because uh, it had upset uh, the economic stability of the temple. And they were ready to kill him just for that. But they came back later and said, by what authority do you do this? And he said, you don't really want to know that. So he asked them a question and they can't answer him. He kind of says, see, I told you, you really don't want to know. And then they come at him with a series of questions. Okay, and thinking, trying to trap him. But, uh, you know, he is the word of God in the flesh. And so that didn't work either. And so now we're at this point where Jesus leaves the city and he doesn't go back until... It's time to be on trial, basically. He's done with Jerusalem. 
which is a sad moment. There's a great sadness in this moment. There's great truth and there's great comfort, but there's also great sadness that it came to this. But it had to come to this. Sin has to be reckoned with at every level, in every man, under every circumstance. And that's exactly what Jesus intends to do. So his disciples want to understand, and he wants them to understand. And so we come to this chapter. It's called the the Little Apocalypse because in it there's apocalyptic literature, which that would be literature like Revelation or Daniel, some in Ezekiel. And so what that word really means is that it's an unveiling. You're able to kind of peek through the, through the curtain and see what's going on. That's what apocalypse does for us. And so Jesus offers some of that in this passage. And so often as we study this, we kind of get focused on those things and we miss the message that Jesus is portraying to his disciples. And I want us to get that message today. So we're going to cover a lot of material and you're going to think, whew, there's a lot in here I want to know about. Today's not today. What I want us to know about today, and this is so crucial to who we are today in the church in the modern day, is, is, is two very important things. Jesus knows everything that is happening right now. He knew it before the foundation of the world, and it didn't scare him off from coming here and saving us. And he's also telling these guys, That it's going to be like that until I do come back. But I am coming back. And until that day, be watchful and be ready. Those are three important lessons for us. And we're going to go through those things uh, rather quickly, but decisively, I hope. So we're going to take this in sections all the way through today. And we're going to begin uh, with verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, as he was going out of the temple... He's leaving the temple district, and he never comes back until, well, he never comes back. This is it. He says, teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. The temple was a thing of glory, people. These stones, what massive stones? The stones were taller than me. They were as wide as this stage, maybe a little bit wider than this stage. And they were eight feet deep. Massive. That's why this thing was constantly under construction. It had been under construction since about 21 B.C. Fifty-something years, and they're still building this thing. But it's quite impressive. The the east side, which they were walking by to get to to where they were going, out on the Mount of Olives. The east side, every stone was covered with a plate of gold. Yeah, so when the sun came up, <laughs> it was a sight to see. If you were if you were in the east and you saw that you could see it up on that mountain, you can you could have, you could have seen it for two hundred and fifty miles. So it was a spectacular sight. Just that was spectacular, and these guys were amazed by it. You know, they'd been there once before, but they made that comment today for some reason. And I think it was so Jesus could say what he says. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. 
That's not what these guys expected to hear. Never forget this. Since the time they were old enough to understand, they were taught that God was going to make the people of Zion a great nation. And that the very temple of God would be the center of all human activity. People would come and go forever in and out of the temple of God, praising God because of what He had done through the Jewish people. That's what they were taught to believe all their life. And here is their teacher, the one that they have given their life to follow. He's saying this building is going to be torn down. Not one of those massive stones are going to be left on top of each other. And as a side note, by 70 A.D., a short uh, 38 years later, it was it happened. It was gone. But what is Jesus saying in that? What does that mean for these guys when they're hearing it? Where there's some things that we have to get in our mind so that we understand the rest of this. And one is that from now on, Jesus is saying, this temple is going to be gone. If you want to hear the message of God and know the message of God, you're going to have to come to me. I'm the temple. That's why you're so important as a church. You're the temple. If you want to If you want the message of God in your life, you're going to find it in me. If you want a place to go to repent for your sins and to have an offering given for your sin, it's going to be in me. There will be no temple left to do that. It's saying that there's a new day approaching and its arrival will be one of destruction of the old way and a triumphant reality for the new. Meaning that the old way, when that temple goes, the old way is gone. That's the final thing. And then it also says this, because for his whole ministry, the religious leaders of Jesus' day just flat ignored him. The only time they ever gave Jesus any attention at all was when they wanted to oppose him, save one that we know of in John's gospel, and that's Nicodemus. All the rest... We have a pretty good idea. The only time that they gave Jesus any attention was when they wanted to tear him apart. But he's saying, they may have ignored me then, but they will not be able to ignore me later. And so a big change is happening here. And Jesus is setting the stage for these guys. And he's setting it for us. Everything that we could ever desire of a life with God is going to be found in Christ Jesus. There's just no other answer. There's nothing else there. He goes on. He says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? If you recall, we've talked about this before. Jewish people were really into signs. They wanted a sign somehow. You know, uh, that was one of the ways that uh, Satan thought that he could play in on Jesus and cause him to sin was to to offer a sign to people as to who he was. You know, remember the temptations in the desert? And uh, he kept saying, all these things you do, it's going to be a sign to others, and they'll worship you, and they'll bow down and all that. So signs were a big deal, but Jesus never bought into it. And he's not going to let them buy into it either. He says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, 
But it is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. All these are the beginning of birth pains. But you, be on your guard. So he said, watch out. And now he's saying, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts. And you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Totally new ideas here for these guys. I don't mean to leave the ladies out, but there were only guys there. Brother will portray brother to death, and a father his child, meaning to death. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, all they did was ask, what is the sign when this is going to happen? And he never gives them an answer. He never really gives them an answer. There's more important things here than looking for the sign, and that's part of the lesson. In fact, that's an important part of the lesson. We see there's, there's two things going on in this first section of this. There's some twisted theology that's going to come their way, and then there's some needless distractions that they need not pay attention to. One is, well, first and foremost, when we get to the second chapter, we see that there's one thing near and dear to Jesus' heart that he doesn't want them to lose sight of. He says, it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all the nations. What he's saying is, do not ever let these things that I'm about to speak of or am speaking of, do not ever let those things steer you away from the reality that the gospel must be preached. It is a necessity that it be preached in every nation. Every Gospel in the New Testament has a statement like this. Every evangelist got it. They understood. This work that Jesus has given us to do includes preaching to the nations. But he says, look, there's going to be some, there's going to be some twisted theology that comes down the, side, the, down the pipe to this. He says there's, there's going to be folks show up. They're going to misuse the gospel that I have brought to you. And that happens almost every day in our country and around the world, and it has for 2,000 years. That's why Jesus said, "This don't ever look at those things and think, oh, he's coming soon. That's not the sign. He said, these things have got to happen. They're going to happen. That's not what you need to be looking for. There's a misrepresentation of, of Christ and the gospel that goes on every day, sometimes in churches like this. Sometimes on the radio, sometimes on the TV, sometimes on the internet, sometimes in the backwoods somewhere where nobody's hearing but a handful of people, but it's happening. And this is how we know it happens. There are those who preach Christ and the gospel, a gospel that is designed to meet their own personal needs rather than the truth of what it is. A gospel that's designed to be popular and attractive rather than convicting it happens every day. Jesus warned us about these things. When we hear a guy or a gal 
that's preaching something that just doesn't line up with the gospel, just say, yep, that's just more proof that Jesus was telling the truth then and he's telling it now. Sometimes we get a gospel that's lopsided. There are those that believe that everyone's going to be damned unless this, that, or the other happens in their life. And there's those that believe, look, God's just a God of love. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you, and you're going to be okay in the end. Those two extremes are lopsided portrayals of the gospel and certainly a lopsided portrayal of the person of Jesus Christ. But we hear it every day. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. That's going to happen. Just don't listen to it. Just be wary of it. Just watch out. There's even those that believe if you can't completely understand what God is doing, then you haven't fully reached an understanding of the gospel. Meaning that if you don't, if you don't have the intellectual exercise to understand everything about God and what He's doing in human history, then you really haven't fully grasped the gospel. But C.J. Chesterton, I don't know if any of you have ever read C.K. Chesterton said it something like this. He said, it is only a fool who tries to get the heavens inside his head, meaning to understand everything there is about God. He said, and not unnaturally, his head burst. He says, the wise man is content to get his head inside the heavens. Meaning that a wise man will be content with knowing that he exists with God and that he may know the depths of God because of the Spirit he gives us. We have to be weary of many of, of much of what we hear. Paul even said it this way, and Jesus did too. You've got to be able to discern the Spirit of the one that is speaking to you. If you cannot discern the Spirit, flee. Get out of there. And then the other thing that he speaks to is this whole idea of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes. You know, these guys that, that heard this, they witnessed a lot of this. You know, we could have said, well, they already saw all this, and that, so that part of it's over, and we are in the end. But that's not true, is it? I mean, they saw Mount Vesuvius. They were living when Mount Vesuvius erupted and, and buried Pompeii. They were there when the marauding hordes came out of the north and, uh, and attacked Rome. I mean, that was just a few scant years in the 80s uh, that that happened in Rome. They saw wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and volcanoes and the whole thing. In fact, there was an earthquake that occurred in their lifetime that is estimated to have killed 60,000 people. It was so broad and so vast. Jesus says, don't be distracted by those things. That's, that's just the beginning. That's not the end. And so often we can get tied up with, oh, it's the end, it's the end, it's the end. All these signs around us, it's the end. And you know what goes unnoticed? That the gospel is not being preached. You know what else happens? <clears throat> In a self-absorbed, egotistical society like our own, we forget what our obligation is to lost people. Forty-seven years ago, I read an article about this study, and for the 47 years ago, America had as many missionaries on the foreign mission field as it did ministers in the United States. Now we have four times as many ministers in the United States, and we have fewer missionaries on the field than we did 47 years ago. We are not preaching the gospel to the nations. And I think it's because we're listening too often to a different gospel or we're paying too much attention to 
trying to figure out what God's going to do next. He's given you something to do. Then he goes on to say, you have to stand on your faith in the face of persecution. Even those who are nearest to you will turn against you in your faith. I know some of you in this room have strained relationships with your families because they don't believe what you believe. Jesus said it's going to happen. Don't let it become a distraction. He doesn't ever stop. He doesn't ever say to stop loving those folks. He says we got to love our enemies. He's just saying it's going to happen. Don't let it be a distraction. Expect it to happen. I can honestly say, and you've heard me say this in various ways, I am nearer to the people who share a common faith in Jesus Christ than I am my own blood kin. And I can tell you, I live in a community where many of them live, and we don't have the same kind of faith experience. I may see them once every, I don't know, in 20 years. I've probably seen some of them three or four times. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus says there's going to be a day, there's going to be, it's going to happen. That blood kin means less than your faith, shared faith in me. It's not a thing that we celebrate, it's just a fact. And we have to realize that it happens. He goes on to say in verse 14, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, and then Mark, there's a footnote here, it says, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of the house. And I said, yeah. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those <clears throat> will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't uh, been from the beginning of creation until now, and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved, but He cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom He chose. Then if anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, see, here, see, there, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead you astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. This is the third time that he's warned us to either watch out, watch, pay attention. And we find in this place that a time comes when there will be those where the final push of sinfulness will be by those who claim authority that resembles the same thing as what might be worship. The abomination of desolation is a, is a term out of the Old Testament. They believe that it had happened already once uh, back in 63 B.C. Uh, Titanatius came into the temple and... Uh, pulled back the Holy of Holies curtains and found nothing but a wooden box and said, oh, there's no God here. And he proceeded to set up a statue of himself and slaughter swine on the altar. That would be the abomination of desolation in a place where it didn't belong. But Jesus is saying, watch out for it again. 
And what would that be for us? Many of us believe that that means that that's the Antichrist that John refers to in his apocalypse. Or the one that comes against the Son of Man that Daniel briefly refers to in his writing. Okay, but what it means is that there will be a day when one or several will show up and they will demand from us or or demand from human beings that which appears to be much like worship that we would give to God. And people will worship Him. They will bow down to Him. They will bend to Him or them. And He's saying that day will come. And He says, flee from that day. He's saying, don't get caught in that trap. When that happens, it's almost as if He's saying, it's going to be so attractive. Don't wait. Don't even go back to your house to get your stuff. Don't go downstairs to get your clothes. If you're on the roof, go down to outside stairs and run. If you're in the field, don't go back to the house. Run. Get out of there. Get away from there. Oddly enough, in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, many people chose to believe in the walls of Jerusalem as their safety, but many fled. Many Christians fled. Long story short, it was so bad in Jerusalem that people considered eating their own children. There was such a famine and such a, and such a blockade against Jerusalem by Titus. Nothing could come in, nothing could go out. That the people were literally starving to death in the city until finally he burst through the gates after he knew that they were weak and they were tired and decimated. And, and he slaughtered people till the blood ran deep as the belly was on the horses. And Jerusalem was destroyed. But those that fled, they were saved. You know where they fled to? The Decapolis. And if you've been here a while, this series, you'll understand that that's significant. Because the demoniac was saved in the Decapolis. And when the church got there, they found a church. Remarkable, huh? The gospel was being preached to all the nations. He tells us to flee and we have to flee, but we also have to remember as we flee, Christ is with us. And He makes that clear. I'm here. I'm always going to be here with you. The day is coming when I will be back in in my physical form and you'll know me. Everybody's going to know me. But until that day, keep yourself clear of the abomination. And you'll be saved. It says at some point after that, he does come. In verses 24, it says, in those days, he says, in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds uh, of the earth. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, from the four winds, from the from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And so Jesus, as he's teaching these guys about what will ha- happen, he says, "But I am coming back, and I am gathering everybody that belongs to me to myself." The elect means everybody that belongs to me is going to be mine. There's great comfort in that, people. 
You live in a world today. You live in a culture today. In an intelligentsia. In a philosophy that says to you, this is all rubbish, nonsense, bah, humbug. That if Jesus did live, then he was at best a holy man. And maybe at worst a myth. But wake up. He's not coming back. He is coming back. He will come back. And those that have ignored Him will know Him as clearly as we will know Him. He came to save, but He's going to return as judge. He has one judgment to make, really. Who's my elect and who's not? That's why he says in the middle of all of this, it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all the nations. Then he goes on. He says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. This is kind of a summary statement of everything that he said. As soon as its branches become uh, tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. This is what we know. We know how to see things and recognize what's coming next, okay? He says, in the same way when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near at the door. So what does this mean for us? We, we get all kind of ideas out of it. In fact, he goes on to tell you, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he says, Now concerning that day um, or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's no way that these first century, first generation Christians could have experienced the return of the Son of Man or the return of the Son of God because He says, nobody knows. I don't even know. Jesus was more apt to tell us everything that He knew than to hold secrets from us. In fact, He says in John, I've, I've, I've disclosed everything to you that the Father has shown me. And obviously, the Father had not shown Him this. And so He tells them, I don't even know. The angels in heaven don't even know. It's like he had, he had consulted the angels. Maybe they know. No, nobody knows. So what do they know? Well, they've already experienced many of these things. I mentioned to you earlier, all that they did ultimately experience in their lifetime. And Jesus said, you will experience some of these things. And what he's saying is, even at the beginning of the end, I am eager to get you. I am standing at the door. When all these things begin to take place, it is like he is at the door and he is ready to pull open the door because he cannot wait to bring home his brothers and sisters. Now, who are they? The elect. And who is the elect? Those who have believed in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. And how do you know Christ Jesus is Savior and Lord? Because someone has preached the gospel to you. So the, the gospel must be true. It is necessary that it be preached because I am standing at the door and there are folks that I want to bring home and you're the one that's going to tell them about me so that I can. This is the message they're getting. 
It's not about the signs. It's not about the wonders. It's not about any of those things. It's not about the trials and tribulations. It's about being faithful to Christ and the gospel. What did he say earlier? You remember earlier when the rich young ruler, we, we went over this, the rich young, young, young ruler was there and, and he, you know, he failed his test. Jesus said, get rid of everything and follow me, and he couldn't. And, and Peter said, man, who could be saved? I mean, if, if, if a man's blessings don't bring him salvation, who can be saved? And Jesus says, look, well, then it's impossible, but everything is possible with God. And, and he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone that has left everything, and he goes through the list, property, family, wealth, everything, for me and for the sake of the gospel, is going to be rewarded how many times? A hundred times. In this life and in the next. But woe to the one who doesn't. So he's waiting and he's ready. And he's ready to come back. But there's some things that aren't ready yet. That's why I am apt to say, people say, oh, I know the end is near. All these terrible things are happening. And I say, the only time that Christ is coming back is when His church is ready. And we have a, we have a huge necessary responsibility in that. Which leads us to our final place here. We must be watchful and we must be ready. No, now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. So he says, now concerning that day, watch, be alert, because you don't know. I don't know, you don't know. If I knew, you would know. That's kind of what he's saying there. He says, and then he tells this great parable, it is like... All right, so this time, this period of time, period that we're in, it is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Okay, so here we are. Jesus does what? He dies for our sins so that we can put our trust in him. He covers our sin debt. We put our trust in him. We're now a part of his household. And he says, I'm leaving for a while. Right? Everybody agree? <laughs> okay. <laughs> he gives authority to his servants. Who is his servants? Everybody raise your hand. Your servant. And he's given authority to you. Okay. He gave each one his work. That means each, each person's got a job. Everybody's got work to do. And commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. So there's one person in charge who's supposed to keep alert to let everybody else know that uh, the master of the house is back home. Okay? Because this is a big house. Therefore, be alert. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. 
So we get to the end of this, and there's something that should ring home to all of us. Well, first of all, there's this, that the old way that God was doing things is gone, and life is only found in Christ Jesus. So if, you, if, if He matters to you at all, your life is going to be only found in Him. That's, that's the simple foundational parts of faith. Everybody should know that. You do know that. When you surrender your life to Christ, you're saying, my life belongs to you. So that means all these terrible things that happen and all the terrible people in your life that come through that are making terrible things happen. When people turn against you, all of that, none of that's unexpected. It's a part of this life that you've, that you've entered into when you've given your life to Jesus. And he says, don't worry about it. Just be watchful of that. Be alert for all those things. I am coming back for you. But until that, I've got some work for you to do. And don't be caught sleeping while there's still work to be done. So when I, I'll make my little snide remarks about people sleeping in on Sunday morning, I, I do it as a kind of a joke, but at the same time, it's kind of a, my own living parable. Spiritually, faithfully, as disciples, as servants, there's no time to sleep on the work that He's given us to do. Now, first and, first and foremost, I believe that this work that He's given us to do is to know Him deeply. I think that's the number one thing. I think if we try to skip to producing results for the gospel before we ever really know Christ, we've, we've got it all messed up for ourselves and it just doesn't work. I think the first work that he's given us is to know him deeply. I think that means that we study the Bible with, with great care and, and great resolve and we study it together so that we're able to, to grow together as, as the church, as the body. I, I believe in that so much. It breaks my heart when, 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 when we don't do that, y'all don't know. It's, it's, it's like you will know Him more. And that's where it all begins. Our life together in the Word is, is vital. Our life of prayer together is vital. It's vital. These things are the way that we grow and we know Christ more. And when we do that together as a church, we function better as a church. But the other thing is that he's given us a job to do. And in, in, in summary terms, it means the, the, the necessity of preaching the gospel. And some of you are saying, I'm not a preacher. No, you may not be a preacher. But by, by subject and aspect of your gifts and being involved in a church, you will give aid and support to those who are. So the life in the church is important. And if you read Paul's letters, you, just, you, you, you find out that you have much to offer in that regard if you choose to be a part of it. But, but the bottom line is you better choose because Jesus doesn't give an indication to what happens to those who are sleeping. But I just know that he says to be awake. So I'm not going to worry about how to get away with sleeping and possibly not getting caught. I'm going to be more concerned with being awake so that when he shows up, it'll be like in when Luke records this very short parable. He says that he shows up in the service is just saying, hey, I was just doing what you told me to do. We have to do our work. That means you have to know your assignment, <laughs> Right? I think he makes it clear. I think he's given us authority. In fact, Jesus promised in John's gospel, and he does it again at the end of Luke's gospels. He says, go back 
wait. He says, I'm going to send something to you in, in Luke's gospel. I'm going to send this power to you. And what is he speaking of? Holy Spirit. I'm going to send this to you. Paul says that, look, if you're going to grow up in the faith, you've got to recognize the spirit that God, that God has placed in your life through faith in Jesus and let that work in your life. He says, then you can know the depths of God. You can know everything that God wants for your life. If you're walking around wondering, I don't know what to do next with my life. I don't know what God wants for my life. Then you are a baby in your faith and you're not allowing the spirit to speak to you because it will speak to you the depths of God if you will just open your life to it. And you will know you will know Christ's business for your life. So he's given you an assignment and he's given you authority. And he says to stay alert till I return. We cannot sleepwalk through our faith. You know what's wrong with the church in America? It is asleep. Keith Green wrote this song back in the 70s. And he's calling for his wife to come away. Come away with me, my love. Come away from this mess. And he's speaking of the church because two verses later he says, they're asleep in the light and they will not wake up to the Christ that is among them. Oh, John says, man, I'll, you don't get it together, he will remove your candle stand. We have to be alert. We have to do our work. And we have to do it under his power because we cannot do it under his power, under our power. He says it. You're going to be called on to speak the truth. And these guys are thinking, well, up until a couple of minutes ago, we thought we knew what that was, but you just said the temple's going to be destroyed. I don't know about that. He says, he knows what they're thinking. He says, everything that you need to say, I'm going to give you to say. Does that sound familiar? Like Moses leading his people. You don't have to speak. I'll take care of the speaking. But if the power of God is being muffled out and stifled in your life, you'll never be able to do it. You know what does that in your life? Sin does that in your life. There's some things we have to let go of. God cannot speak through you. He cannot use you. As long as the sin in your life is more important to you than He is. Don't be found sleeping. And don't be found with your work unattended to. There's another parable about that. You ever heard the parable of the talents? He gives one, five talents, one ten, twenty. Go use my money. Make me some money because I want money. Well, the first two they do. They, they invest that money. They make twice what, it, what he gave them. Well done, good and faithful servant. He comes to the last one. Said, man, I knew, I knew not to mess around with your money. So I put, I put it in a hole. <laughs> and I slept every night like a baby because I'd put your, your, your talent in my hole because I knew it would be there when you got back. And he says, you are a fool. Don't you know that I want something for what I gave you? He says, at least you could have done is just bear interest. But you didn't even do that. Jesus is saying, I've given you this life in me, but do you think I'm, I'm foolish enough to just say that it's okay if you, if, if you just do nothing with it? If you don't do what I've, I've directed you to do with it, you think that's going to be okay? I used to think that, man. Hey, I was saved. That's all that matter. 
I didn't have to do anything with my life. Jesus loved me this I know for the Bible told me so and that was it. Until I realized one day that I was sinning against him because my life meant nothing. It wasn't anything what he wanted it to be. Some of you are in this room right now and you can say the same thing. You woke up one day and realized that your sinfulness was what you were living in and not your, not your salvation. People, if you want to change the world, you can't, work, you can't wait for lost people to be, to, to be saved on their own. If you want the world, the world is, is, is in the mess that it's in because there's a lot of unsaved people out there doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And there's a lot of saved people out there called the church that aren't doing anything that they're supposed to be doing. And our world is going to hell in a handbasket, as you've heard it say. And we're just going to say, oh, Lord, please come quickly. And he's not coming because the church isn't ready. Because it's not doing a darn thing that he asked it to do. I know that scared you there for a minute, but. There was a movie called That Darn Cat, and I figure I can get away with it. It was 1963, I think. I think you're getting the message. These chairs are comfortable, aren't they, on Sunday morning? Too comfortable. We've got to make some choices. I'm not saying as the church global. This church. This church. This is where we get our, our lifeblood from. This church. I know a few other people that are in churches. But the majority of people I know that are church people sitting right here in this room. A few others. You're the one that's going to hold me accountable. Hold each other accountable to the work that God's given. You're the one that's going to prod me when I want to go to sleep and not do the work that's been given me. We're responsible to each other. So I pray for you. I, I hope you pray for me. Because Jesus, Jesus is dead serious about all of this. Serious business. He's talking about the temple being destroyed. Families offering up their loved ones to death because they believe in Him. The sun and the moon darkened. The whole order of nature coming undone at His return. This is serious business that He's talking about. And in the middle of it, He says, it is necessary. What's necessary? The gospel be preached to who? Everybody. Let's pray.